This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, we'll go back to 1942 and a visit with the great Gildersleeve. But we start tonight's entertainment with The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, a program that, by 1949, had the largest audience in radio. Tonight's episode's entitled Tale of the Mermaid. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This started with a wreck and went from there to double murder over 75,000 bucks worth of glitter that nobody got in the end. Because I found out just in time what was fishy about the tale of the mermaid. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. With Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Tale of the Mermaid. At 9.30, I was still in my office, tucking in the loose ends on a report, while I listened with half an ear to the fabric of city sounds rising from the street below. Fabric ripped suddenly by tires clawing concrete. A shattering crash that followed brought me to my feet. It was a traffic accident, and a bad one. I ran to the window, but it had happened around the corner out of sight from my office. So I watched others run for it and remembered grimly that every 30 seconds, somewhere in the country, a thing like that happened. And one out of every 16 minutes was fatal. I wondered who had been chewed up in a chromium meat grinder this time as I listened to first the police... And the emergency ambulance, and finally, the scavenger truck cleaned the wreck off the street. After that, I went back to my report again and tried to forget about it. But an hour later, that same accident came back into my office. Mr. Marlowe. Yeah? This is Corey Riggs. Uh, yes, Miss Riggs. I'm a nurse at the Warwick Emergency Hospital. Uh-huh. About an hour ago, a man named Stanley Ott was brought in, and he's been calling for you. For me? He was badly injured in an automobile accident on Coenga on his way to your office. Wait a minute, who did you say this was? I'm the nurse assigned to Mr. Ott at the hospital. I just got off duty and I had to wait until I was relieved before I could call you. I see. Well, look, Miss Riggs, I'd like to help in any way I can, but it's not... Mr. Marlowe, Mr. Ott gave me $250 and told me to call you. Yeah, I know, but... And you... he said that I should give you 200 and keep the 50 for myself. Oh, fine. Now I get clients by proxy. I beg your pardon? Nothing. I'll be right over, Miss Riggs. <laughs> I didn't know anyone named Stanley out, and I felt a little like an ambulance chaser, but I was only 15 minutes from getting to the emergency hospital. 
As I walked up the ambulance ramp, a smart-looking brunette came toward me. I'm Corey Riggs, the nurse who called. Oh, hello. Can I see him now? It wouldn't do any good. You see, uh, he went into a coma a few minutes after I called. Oh, too late, is that it? Let's move away from the door, shall we? Sure. You see, Mr. Marlowe, before he went into the coma, Art wasn't rational. He was raving. About what sort of thing? About you and a girl. Oh? As near as I could make out, she's supposed to meet someone tonight at 2 o'clock and collect $75,000. It's quite an assignment. Who's the girl? I don't know. All I said was something about a, a plaid coat as identification. Plaid coat, huh? Any idea what he wanted me to do? Chaperone, maybe? No, he, he kept pleading, stop her, stop her. She can't do it. So I'm sure that he wanted you to prevent this girl from keeping that appointment. For some reason, it seems absolutely imperative to him. Well, where was this 2 o'clock meeting supposed to take place? I have no idea. Oh, fine. So it boils down to this. A girl we don't know in a plaid coat is meeting someone we don't know at a place we don't know at 2 a.m. The man who wants me to prevent it is in a coma and can't talk. Can you say anything else, Miss Riggs? He just kept saying, you've got to help me, Marlowe. It's life and death. You know, we can stir up an awful hornet's nest poking our noses into 75000 bucks worth of business we know nothing about. I doubt that we can do any good anyway. Because we don't have enough to go on. If he said anything else to even point uh, in the right... Marlowe. What? Oh, wait a minute. He mumbled something once about a, a Constantine. Constantine? Yes, it's some here. What is it, a boat? I don't know. But at least it's a lead, isn't it? Mm. Anything else? Mm, no. Okay, where can I reach you? I'll be at my quarters, Crestview 5781. 5781. And keep track of Stanley Art's condition, will you? If he comes out of it, talk to him. We've only got three short hours. I'll call you, Corey. <laughs> I felt a little weird as I left the hospital because I was traveling on strictly second-hand information as to what had gone on in a delirious mind. But in spite of that, there was still enough coherence in what Corey Riggs told me to make a case. My first stop was a phone booth and a call to the police, where I found out from the accident report that Stanley Out was 30 unmarried small-time lawyer an L.A. resident with a clean police record. My next call was the harbor master's office, San Pedro. Uh, Constantine? No. Don't remember no vessel by that name, sonny. Just a minute, I'll look her up in the registry. Uh, let's see. Constana, Constan, Constantine. Only one listed is a four-masted schooner sunk off Pirates Point near Monterey in 1870. A little before my time. Not the one, eh? Not the one. So I tried the Coast Guard. No fishing boat called Constantine on this coast, mister. That was followed by a check of Yacht Harbor at Long Beach, negative. And a call of the pleasure boat anchorage at Santa Monica. After that, a long, futile reconnaissance of the waterfront from one end to the other. It left me one solid hour later out at the end of a tottering, almost abandoned concession pier in Venice. Swearing in blind frustration at the black, seething ocean below. I was lit. You ain't thinking of jumping in, are you, pal? Hey, you look like you lost your best friend. I did, Buster. Me. I was sunk with a Constantine in 1870. Constantine? You know him, too, huh? 
Him? Mm-hmm. You mean Constantine's a guy? Sure, pal. There's a shack there. Uh, wait till the beacon light comes around uh, again. Uh, you see? See that? Well, I'll be. <laughs> Prince Constantine Chevnov. Arco says promise and medium personal consultant by appointment only. Yeah, but uh, that's a fake. No fool. All them guys, uh, he owes everybody around, he, he, even as a ziggy, me. For one buck, and that's something. But he's a genuine Russian prince. Uh, uh, hey. Hey, where, where you going? Have a look. Prince Konstantin Chevnov could be my boy. He wouldn't want you nosing around here, pal. That's too bad. Does he live here? Yeah, in, in the back. He uh, runs his pitch in the front where uh, all them uh, uh, green curtains are. Uh-huh. Yeah. I suppose he always leaves his door unlocked, huh? What? What? Hey, hey. That's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. There'll be a light switch here someplace. Oh, yeah. Now, let's see what... Oh. Holy catch. <laughs> Goodbye, mister. Goodbye. As the little wharf rat darted through the door and scampered away into the darkness, I went over to the body, face up on the cheap, gaudy carpet of the seance room. He was about 35 in a substantial gray business suit, stained red in front where the bullets had gone in. His wallet was missing. There was no other identification on him. His gray, snap-brim hat was spilled a few feet away, so I picked it up to look for initials and found instead a small file card stuck into the sweatband. Typed at the top was the heading, The Mermaid. Owner, Otis Van Owen. Only relative, Evelyn Van Owen. Niece. Mermaid stolen November 12, 1948. Insurance paid in full. In ink, Van Owen died August 1949. And under that in pencil, Constantine Chevnov, Venice Pier, and Louis Paradise. 913 Seacrest Road, Pacific Palisades. It took 20 minutes to find 913 Seacrest. When I stopped and got close enough from what I saw through an open window made Constantine trap I just left looked as reliable as a post office by comparison. It was a miniature Egyptian temple, exotic and dainty, sickening lushness of red velvet and yellow silk. And in the center of the room was a bloated little man balancing a long cigarette holder in one hand while he simpered into a honey-colored French phone in the other. I moved up quietly until I could hear him. A sentimental agreement. That is right, Evelyn. Your Uncle Otis and I were the best of friends for years. <laughs> well, thank you, child. Uh, where are you now? Oh, the servitor. Good, good. I advise you to stay there until a few minutes before two, and uh, <laughs> you uh, will not forget to wear a plaid coat, just to be sure I won't make a mistake. What is it, buddy? What? Right, you. <laughs> hey. uh, 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 careful now. Sudden noises <laughs> like this gun going off upset, oh, Mr. Carter. I am looking forward to they find so interesting inside. Conversation. About the mermaid, probably. Uh-oh. I'm glad you dropped that one, bud, because I'd bump you for a nickel. Say nothing to 75G. I don't talk things over with punks. I reserve it for the head man. Go do something about it. Okay, bud, I will. Go on, move. Round to the door and inside. If the paradise gets some kind of kick out of stepping on big guys like you, the gopher face shoved his automatic into the small of my back and marched me inside where the air was thick with cheap incense. The bloated little king with the long cigarette holder had stepped out. But he came back fast when the gopher called him. He stared at me from across the room and his nostrils flared for an instant. And he simpered again and sidled toward me. The gopher dug at my spine with his gun. Well, now, 
what is this you say? Snooper, Mr. Paradise. Caught him outside picking in the window. Oh, it is a bad night for snoopers. Who are you? Name's Marlowe. And uh, the business? Snooping. He knows about the mermaid, Mr. Paradise. He does, does he? How much do you know? Speak up. He's got a fishtail instead of legs. You dare to joke. Don't you. Stand here and take it, big man. You asked for it. Make a move and I'll drop you. I know what you are, Marlowe, but not how much you have found out. Now tell me, because the next time I slap you, it will carry more weight than my bare hand, I promise. You have company, Paradise. Did I get it? No, you keep this baboon under control, Rudy. I will answer the door. Come in. Paradise. Paradise, what do you mean? How far do you think you can go with my reputation? Do you want to get me hanged? Wife, what is the matter, Constantine? You are upset. Upset? I'm out of my mind. Oh, what a shock. And such a stupid thing for you to do. What are oh. you raving about? He found that body on his front room floor, right, Constantine? Exactly. Precisely. And what is more, I did not put it there. Well, of all the places in the world, why did you pick this one? Paradise. Who is this, this stranger here? If you would close your mouth and open your eyes more often, Prince Constantine, you would not be the nervous wreck you are. This is Mr. Marlowe, another snooper. Another one? Paradise. Paradise, listen to me. It's better if we quit. It's better if we don't try it tonight. It's out of hand. I don't like it now. We should get away and come back next year and do it. Ah, you jellyfish, there is nothing to worry about now. Insurance investigators often work in pairs. Is that not so, Marlowe? Your pitch, round man. You don't need any help from me. You are so right. Rudy and I caught the first at your place, Constantine. Now we have the second one here. That is all there are. The danger is over. It's over. clear sailing from yeah, now but on. what about that cadaver you had the audacity to leave lying in my sails? Oh, room? what about that? me, Constantine. Oh, that me, was a necessity. Oh, I am sorry. Now, listen. Hey, Rudy. Just go on all the time? Yeah. Ain't it awful? And think of all the champagne, caviar, and bricola, strong enough you can buy with the mermaid. I don't care. Just a bracelet, but at the same time it is $75,000 worth of diamonds and platinum. Oh, dada. Oh. Okay, Paradise, I trust you. Now, we go, huh? My, uh, Gnazdo. Huh? Yes, Prince, the Gnazdo it is. Hey, uh, Mr. Paradise. Uh? What should I do with the big boy here? Yeah, you're kind of leaving a loose end around, aren't you, Fatty? If I had the time, Marlowe, I would beat the arrogance out of you a little chunk at a time. Rooney. Yeah? You've got no initiative, but you do have imagination. So use it. Goodbye, Marlowe. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, it's a big break in entertainment for you and a big break in a career for some talented youngsters when Horace Heights' original youth opportunity program opens the door to fame and fortune every Sunday evening on CBS. Popular Horace Heights is host to young folks who want to break into show business. And every Sunday evening, one lucky winner does break in to his delight and your listening pleasure. Yes, for music, comedy, thrills, and all-around fun, listen to Horace Heights Sunday evenings. Another great CBS show heard over most of these same stations. Tune in, tune in this fall. For oh, 
the shows that you love best of all. Listen carefully. Here's the address. It's CBS, CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Tale of the Mermaid. Paradise hesitated at the door, snarled the suggestion that this henchman used his imagination in disposing of me, and left in lockstep with the white Russian screwball, I got the point. But even if I'd missed it entirely, one look into Brother Rudy's eyes would have done the trick. There were no pupils, just slits of lethal viciousness. Windows to his warped little mind where I could practically see the montage going on. that ran from ancient thumbscrews by candlelight up to a generous beating by street lamp with brass knucks. <laughs> Of a cold knot grow in the pit of my stomach. As Rudy, with a cannon in his hand, pointed at my head, started toward me. And from someplace outside, I got a break. Two romantic cats. Rudy spun toward the sound. One chance to a customer, Rudy, and you miss. Kill you, my lord. Blow your head off. Not tonight, gentle soul. Give it to me. I don't want you to hurt yourself until we've had a chance to talk. That's it. Now, lie down. I knew there was some reason why I like cats, their voices. Okay, Rudy, you've had enough rest. Now, let's get back to business. Now, now wait a minute. Come on, get wait, up. We're going to talk. Wait, hold it, please. No reason for any more rough stuff. I'll cooperate. That's better. Where did Paradise and His Highness head for? The Gnazdo, where is it? I don't know. Come on, you said there was no reason for rough stuff, remember? Ow! Yeah, yeah, I remember. That Gnazdo, that's something I never heard of. An unhappy coincidence, Rudy. It's one thing I'm interested in. Yeah, wait. Must be something else you want to know. Something else I could tell you that... Hey. Hey, what are you going to do? You mean you Stay can't away. tell, Rudy? That's Keep funny. Away. All it... it takes is a little imagination. Ah! With Rudy out of the way, I started through the place looking for all important answer to what was the Ganazzo. The 20 minutes of turning drawers and closets inside out revealed nothing more exciting than Louis Paradise's address book. First names only. And a picture of a girl named Toodles who belonged to the Roaring Twenties. And by this time should have caught a death of cold. <laughs> His sister, no doubt. But no lead on the Gnazdo. So on the slim chance that my client Stanley Ott might already be back in this world and able to help, I got outside into my car and drove to the first drugstore where after checking the phone books under everything from bars to bathhouses for a Gnazdo and getting no place, I called Corey Riggs at the nurse's home. No, Marlo, Stanley Ott's still unconscious. I just talked to the night nurse on his floor. They expect him to come out of it soon. Uh, why? What happened? Well, it's too much to explain now, Corey, but that girl, the one in the plaid coat, mm -hmm. I found out that her name's Evelyn Van Owen, and she's staying at the Surf Hotel. Now, see if that much checks with Ott when he comes to, will you? All right. Oh, also, there's a diamond-studded item called the Mermaid, which accounts for that 75000 he mentioned. Now, Constantine and the Pier now equal a phony Russian prince who runs a spook palace out on the old Venice Pier. Now, you got all that? Uh-huh. Good. Now, look, honey, listen real hard. Before Ott passed out, did he by any chance say the word Ganazdo? Ganazdo? Yeah. Mm, no. What does it mean? I don't know. I, I think it's the name of a place. Oh, have you uh, checked the phone books? Yeah, yeah. It's no dice, Corey. Also, I checked one Mr. Louis Paradise, who so you might uh, mention... Marlo, Marlo, wait a minute. What's Hold the matter? Hold the wire, will you? There's a girl here, one of the nurses, who's trying to tell me something. Oh. It's the Ganazdo, Marlo. Shh, wait a minute. She knows something about it here. It's, it's Rosemary. You talk to her. 
Hello. Hello. You want to know what Gnazdo means? Yeah. Well, it's Russian, like Poshlemyak Gnazdo. Oh, just so. Uh, well, what does it mean in English, Rosemary? Fast, please, is important. Well, that means, let's go to my place. Gnazdo's the word for nest. Sort of like cozy apartment or cottage. My place? Nest? Are you sure of that? Well, I'm positive. I was an army nurse in the war, and I spent two years in Germany after the shooting part was over. Two years, a half a block away from the Russian zone. That's close enough. Thanks a million, Rosemary. I don't mention it. Here's Corey. Oh. That do it, Marlowe? Yeah, I think so. At any rate, unless I'm way off base, it's where both the mermaid and all parties concerned are going to rendezvous at 2 a.m. That's less than a half hour from now. The prince's place on the pier. I want to be early, so goodbye, Corey. I'll call again when I know more. Yeah, and give my everlasting love to girlfriend Rosemary. She all is show a peach. There were still a few parts missing, the way there always are. As I drove fast for the old Venice Pier and added as I went along, it came out something like a theme of paradise and Prince Whatchamacallit, ready, willing, and able to pay 75 grand for a piece of jewelry that one Evelyn Van Owen now owns. A mermaid. According to the data I'd found on the insurance man's body, it had once been stolen from Evelyn's late uncle. But I left it there when my rearview mirror said a long gray sedan that had been tagging me discreetly for the last three blocks. Now being indelicate about it and closing fast. The driver was old pal Rudy, and as he came abreast, he headed for me. You're okay, you're okay, Mac. Don't you worry about a thing. We'll have you out of there in a minute. Hey, can't you knock out that horn? I knocked out the horn. What do you think we're trying to do? It ain't so easy to get my hand past the twisted hood. You know? Oh. Oh. Well, that's better. Hey. Hey, Cabby, what'd I hit? Well, in order of their appearance, Ooh. Mac, your car into a telephone pole, and then you into your dashboard. Oh, yeah, you're sure lucky you bounced off the curb first, Mr. Okay. Rode you down plenty. Oh, hey, here comes the argument. Yeah. Look at the roll. Not for me. I'm all right. Hey, come on, Cabby, help me out of this, will you? Sure, sure, that's what we're trying to do, but uh, don't you worry, the ambulance ain't for you. For the guy that sideswiped you and then tried to get away. I seen what happened, and I went after him in my cab. <laughs> he turned into a dead end, no less, trying to shake me. Ooh, is he a mess. But I guess he'll live all right. Hey, what's he got against you, anyhow, Mac? Just my life. Listen, your cab's still all right? Sure, there's someplace you gotta go. There is. The old Venice concession's here, my friend, and the sooner the better. Come on. Maybe my head against the dashboard was exactly what I needed. Because right then and there, the method of Rudy's handiwork made me think of an angle that I'd neglected almost completely. My unconscious client had not wanted me to get the mermaid or the 75,000 bucks, but to stop Evelyn from keeping her rendezvous, which at this point I figured could mean but one thing. It was exactly 2 o'clock when the cab slammed to a stop near the pier. And I piled out and ran onto the empty, fog-dampened planking that led to Prince Constantine's shack. Nothing but mist moved over the pier. No unusual sound broke the pattern of waterfront noises. But I thought momentarily that I was still in time to prevent what Stanley out somehow knew was going to happen. That Louis Paradise and his eccentric sidekick intended to get the mermaid from Evelyn, but pay off in only one... one way. 
the shack on stilts and got close to the half-open door where I could see and hear and found out just what I'd expected. In the storeroom spread out and very still on the oil-soaked planks that were a makeshift floor with a lifeless form of a girl who, according to the plaid coat she wore, was the late Evelyn Van Orn. And kneeling close to her gun in one hand, the sparkling mermaid in the other, was her executioner, Louis Paradise. Next to him is number one boy, Prince Constantine Chevnov. Not very happy. A fool, a fool to shoot her was stupid. Yes. Seventy-five grand, stupid. Uh, or would you have preferred that I pay Miss Van Owen in cash? I had to kill her. Yes, 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 paradise, but the gun, so much noise, we can't afford to attract that thing. There's two corpses on hand, I should say not, Prince. They don't try it, Louis. Oh, the mermaid... The space between the boards. The middle of it. Oh. It's in the water, Chevnov. Shame. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's a shame. We did so much. Worked so hard. Yeah. Killed so often. And a run for it, Your Highness? Run? No. No, paradise is dead there. Without paradise, I... I am not so brave. Keep quiet. Don't make a sound, Chef. No, we got company. Quiet! Pardon me. Can you please tell me where Louis Paradise can be... That's Louis Paradise there. Who are you? Evelyn Van Owen. What? Van Owen. The woman who was supposed to sell the mermaid to Paradise? That's right. But on my way over here, just after I left my hotel, somebody struck me, knocked me out. He took my, my coat there and, and my purse and ran. Your purse with a mermaid, no doubt. Yes. And that, Miss Van Owen, makes this angle shooter here. Yeah. The very dead nurse, Corey Riggs. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Stanley's going to be all right. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> Why is it women always cry when they're so happy? I don't know, but it's effective. Well, I'll run along now. Goodbye. Bye, doctor. You know, Mr. Marlowe, when I was in Stanley's room with the doctor, Stan said he didn't lose control of his car at all when he had that accident in front of your place. He was run off the road by... By a gray sedan, I know. Because I had the same treatment. He's one of Louis Paradise's henchmen. Rudy, where's your car, honey? I'll walk you out. Just outside the front door. Mm-hmm. Tell me, did I tell you why Rudy roughed him up? Yes, in a way. You see, I told Stanley about the deal with the mermaid, and he thought it all sounded a little phony. Can't understand why. He's a lawyer, you know. Not legal type mind. Uh, yeah. He said meeting anyone at two in the morning was ridiculous, so he investigated as much as he could because he was worried about me. We're engaged, you No, know. I never would have guessed. And, and he found out that Mr. Paradise was a fence. And Stan said that probably he never intended to give me the $75,000 for the mermaid at all. That they, they intended to kill me. Mm, here we are. Tell me, why did you get in touch with Paradise in the first place? I was just following Uncle Otis's instructions. Mm-hmm. He gave me the mermaid when he was dying. And he told me if I wanted money to sell it only to a Mr. Paradise, but... But not to mention it to anyone. Your uncle faked a robbery, collected the insurance money, and then let you sell the mermaid to a fence, huh? It's lucky for you that Nurse Corey Riggs was clever. 
She put together just enough of Otis's gibberish to know that there was something good to be had and then got me to unravel it for her. She got killed taking my place. When she tried to collect your 75,000 bucks. Yeah. Oh, here's my car. Well, Evelyn, for a little while you were a rich woman. Now it's all gone. How do you feel? Well, I'm alive and in love. Yes, well, that answers my question. Good night, baby, and good luck. When I left the hospital, I wandered back to the old Venice Pier in Prince Constantine's Gnazdo. It was five in the morning, and the police had finished cleaning the place up. But the word had gotten out. A crowd had gathered. They always do. Curious, restless, sordid crowds, equipped with everything from grappling hooks to homemade diving helmets, all climbing over each other for a chance to fish for the mermaid. She would brought death to three people, injury to two others in the course of one night. And suppose they found her. What then? A lot of glittering pieces of white coal set in a metal frame we call precious. Look at the sucker's grab. That's all, Marlowe. Home and to bed. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Donnelly, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Rita Lynn, John Daner, Michael Ann Barrett, Wilms Herbert, Junius Matthews, Herb Vigran, and Mark Lawrence. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oran. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... It started with a terrified woman lost in a maze of memories she couldn't explain. And waiting for outside an open window was death. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. (laughs) The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. Now it's time to join that busy businessman, that solid citizen and that unctuous uncle, Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, who's arrived home from the office an hour earlier than usual today because of a splitting headache. Doing home at this hour. Oh, good afternoon, Marjorie. I closed the office early on account of a splitting headache. Oh, that's too bad. How are you feeling? Just wonderful. Well, what about the headache? Oh, she went home. <laughs> she? Yes, I didn't have the headache. It was my secretary, Miss Rep Vogel. 
I kept telling the girl, uh, poor girl, to get glasses, but she thinks they'll spoil her good looks. Well, if that girl ever wore glasses, she could see that she hasn't any good looks. <laughs> That's probably why she doesn't wear them. <laughs> Anyhow, after she left, I guess I got a touch of spring fever. Oh, you did? Yes, you know. In the spring, a young man's fancy uh, lightly turns into thoughts. Uh, <laughs> That's from Loxley's Hall, Tennyson. Hey, what? Gee whiz, you can't imagine what wandered into our backyard just now. Hi, Uncle Mort. There's a goat in our backyard. Is a goat? Sure, a real live billy goat with all the accessories. A beard at one end and a tail at the other. Yep. And two horns. Uh, well, and a very good bumper, too, I'll bet. <laughs> What's it doing in our yard? Well, it pulled up some of those onions you planted, and right now it's having dinner. <gasps> onions? I never planted it. Oh, good heavens, those are my crocus bulbs. Yes, folks. Oh, why didn't you stop him? Hey? Uncle Mort, please come along and help me. Yes, certainly, my dear. Come along, Leroy. Oh, gee, crocus, do you think it'll crop the goat? Yes. <laughs> Leroy, I can see you don't know very much about a goat suggestion. Oh, now you get right out of my flower garden, you old devil. <laughs> Uncle Mort, make him stop eating my flowers. Now tell him to quit. Yes, all right, my dear. Now, see here, if... if What's the goat's name, Leroy? I don't know. We just can't call him anonymous. Oh, I know. Let's call him Horace after Judge Horace Hooker, eh? Huh? <laughs> There's quite a resemblance between those two old goats anyway. <laughs> oh, Uncle Mort, you don't really mean that. No, Leroy. The goat's more intelligent looking. <laughs> oh, hurry, Uncle Mort. Well, you've been talking that goat's eaten four crocuses, all the nasturtiums, and now he started on my lily. Lilies? He has, has he? <laughs> You get away from those lilies, Horace. Quickly now, before you wind up holding one of them. <laughs> Looks like Horace has been eating the radishes, too. <laughs> hey, come on, Leroy. Help me drag him out of there. Well, maybe I can handle him myself, Uncle Moore. Huh? Come on out of there, Horace, old boy. Uh... Nice little goat. Come on, palsy walsy. Had a boy, that's right. You see, all you have to do is treat him with kindness. Oh, look, Uncle Morty likes you. Well, isn't that cute? <laughs> look out, Uncle Morty's chewing your sleeve. Here he is. Stop that, Horace. Let go. Unhand me, sir. <laughs> yes, Horace, don't chew Uncle Sleeve. You might choke on the buttons. <laughs> Be nice to your Uncle Mort. I'm not that goat's Uncle Mort. Now, Leroy, you take this silly Billy back to its owner. Gee, Uncle, I don't know who he belongs to. Nobody around here keeps goats. She must have wandered in from out of town. Well, he can wander right back out again. You hear that goat? Beat it. Skidoo. Eh, vamoose. That's Spanish for scram, Leroy. Vai eh, casa. What's that? That Portuguese for vamoose. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeepers, Uncle. Um, couldn't we keep him for just a little while? Leroy, we're not running a bye-the-wee for belligerent billy goats. <laughs> but he'd make a keen pet. Young man, your pets have been my peeve. We've let you keep rabbits, turtles, and frogs, and chipmunks. But goats are more than I can stomach. And goodness knows I can stomach a lot. <laughs> I agree, Uncle Mort. Now, how can we get rid of him? I'll uh, call the city hall. City hall? Yes, there must be some department down there that handles runaway goats. But, gee, Uncle, why can't we just keep him? I'll tell you why, my boy. In the first place, he doesn't belong to us. In the second place, whoever owns him might want him back. In the third place, I won't have him tearing up our place in the first place. <laughs> Quiet, you. Hello. 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 Now, Uncle Moore, don't lose your temper. Why shouldn't I lose my temper? 
Been on this telephone till I've gotten a cauliflower ear. Well, maybe no one down at City Hall wants a goat. There must be some department that handles them down there, Leroy. By George, what are we paying taxes for? Operator, wake up. Good afternoon, City Hall. Oh, good afternoon, my dear. Did you have a nice nap? <laughs> what do you want, please? This is still Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Oh, yes, the goat man. Goat man. <laughs> One moment, please. I'd like to see Hitler hold his breath for one of her moments. <laughs> Leroy, did you tie that goat to the tree like I told you to? Yes, I did, Uncle, and he chewed through the rope. Oh, dear, what's he doing now? Oh, nothing, just standing there eating the rest of the rope. <laughs> well, let's give him enough rope and maybe he'll operate her. Who are you waiting for, please? I want somebody to come and get my goat. Well, just hold on. Here you are. Oh, help the Rockman. Entwistle speaking. Oh, at last. Mr. Entwistle, I'm calling about a goat. Sorry, that's not my line. I don't handle sick goats. It, but this goat isn't sick. Oh, then you want Percy Bodkin. Just a second. <laughs> hello, Bodkin speaking. Uh, hello, Mr. Bodkin. We've got a goat down at our house. Yeah, I know. It hasn't any nose. How does it smell? Terrible. I've heard that one. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a perfectly healthy goat. Are you sure? Has it had a physical lately? <laughs> uh, look, it's straight into our yard. We want you to come and take it away. But I'm just the inspector of goat's milk. <laughs> this isn't an Annie goat, it's a Bill. Oh, Bill, he's out to lunch now. I'll have him call you when he gets back. <laughs> operator, operator. One moment, sir. I'm trying to help you. Here's Mr. McCorkle in Lost and Found. Go ahead, Mac. Hello. I understand you lost a coat. What kind? Overcoat, top coat, sport coat, or maximum? No, no, not a coat. Uh, a goat. Oh, a goat? Yeah. Here in the city hall? No, here at home. How could you lose a goat at home? You probably just mislaid it. Yes, miss. <laughs> I didn't mislaid it. I found it. Well, then if you found it, why are you bothering me? Because it isn't mine. But does the coat fit you? Yeah, it's not a coat. It's a goat. A G-O-T, goat. Oh. Now I understand. I'll switch you over to the park commission. They use them on the lake. Use what on the lake? Boats. Oh! <laughs> no, no. Operator, operator. It's... Hello. City planning commission. I don't want the planning commission. I just want to find out how to get rid of a goat. Oh, yes. The phone girl told me. Well, all you have to do is come down here and sign a complaint. I'll be glad to. Then what happens? We'll send a policeman out and he'll arrest that man. He can't keep a goat in a residential zone. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Leroy, time for you to trot off to bed. Oh, but gee, it's early, huh? Can't I read to the end of the chapter? No, young man. Before you go to your room, I want you to go outside and chase that miserable goat out of our yard. You mean tonight? Right now. And lock the gate so he can't get back in again. Okay, but it's a pretty tough break for the old fellow. No place to turn to late at night. I thought you just said it was early. Sure for me, but not for a goat. Yeah. It's pretty sad. Now, now, let's not get sentimental about a billy goat. Yeah, but how would you feel if it was a cold night and you were all alone in a strange city and you were a goat? Well, I'd feel... How do I know I'm not a goat? <laughs> well, Uncle Mort, just supposing you were, Horace. Uh, uh, Leroy, sit down. We're going to have a little man-to-man -man talk. Gee, like Andy Hardy? Just sit down, young man. Oh, I don't want to appear hard-hearted. But we've got to look at this entire goat problem from the practical standpoint. Understand? Yes, sir. Yeah. Now, first of all, am I this goat's keeper? Did I invite him to come here and live with us? No, but you never told him he couldn't come either, Unc. What's that got to do? Let's be calm about this, Leroy. <laughs> the, the trouble with you, young man, is that you're too impulsive. I am? Yes. You should carefully consider what you're jumping into and then don't jump. 
Why, what business would we have owning a goat? Horse, well, business. We could rent him out to the neighbors as a lawnmower. Yes, a lawnmower. <laughs> That's not the point, Leroy. Let's get down to cold, bare facts. Sure. Poor old Horace is cold and bare, and that's a fact. Uh. <laughs> and homeless and lonesome, too. But you've got to realize, my boy, that that isn't our fault. Oh, I do, Unc. And I realize it wouldn't be our fault either if we threw him out and it started to rain and he caught cold and wound up with double pneumonia. Yes, double pneumonia. Oh, yes, that's perfectly true. If you think it's going to rain. What do we care if it does? I never heard of a goat catching double pneumonia before. Well, suppose he doesn't. Then he may starve to death or get run over by a truck. Oh, I'd hate to think that... Leroy, maybe I've been too impulsive. Oh, no, Unc. Well, I guess I'd better go out and chase Horace out of our backyard. Yes, sir. Uh, you needn't bother, my boy. I'll uh, take care of those things myself. But you said that I was supposed uh, to... Never mind, Leroy. It might rain, and if that poor old goat hasn't got anywhere else to go, it won't hurt us if he spends the night under our mulberry bush. Jeepers, Unc, then we're going to keep him? There you go, acting impulsive again. But he hasn't given us any trouble since he had his dinner. Yeah, do you remember what he had for dinner? A delicious set of Grandma Gildersleeve's lace curtains. <laughs> but he won't do it again. I'll watch him, Uncle. How about it? Well, we'll see, Leroy. I'm going to see that you get straight to bed. Come on. Well, I'm going. You don't need to come with me, Uncle. Yeah, I'm going to my room anyway. There's an old blanket in my closet I'm going to take outside for that goat. In case it gets cold tonight. Or if he gets hungry. <laughs> oh, I don't think you need to bother, Uncle. He'll, he'll be just fine without that. Well, seeing that I'm the host, of course, I might as well... If, uh... Leroy, what's going on in your room? Oh, nothing, Uncle. Nothing, eh? Well, let's take a look. <laughs> Leroy, look at your mattress. That's the last straw. <laughs> Do you think that was the last straw, Judge Hooker? No. I put that horse... Horace! Uh, I mean that goat. <laughs> I put him outside after that, and he spent the night bleeding his brains out. Well, what have you done about it today? Well, I placed an ad in the lost and found section of the newspaper. I expect... Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve, hello, Judge Hooker. Have you two heard the latest news about the Gildersleeve goat? Oh, of course you haven't. You haven't been home, I mean. Uh, well, we haven't had so much excitement in the neighborhood since that donut truck ran over that coffee salesman. Yes, <laughs> My goodness, Dottie, what's happened now? Well, your goat has developed the worst habit. He's playing games with everybody. What sort of games? Well, there's one called Button, Button. Who's going to get the button? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, it usually starts with somebody playing drop the handkerchief, and then the goat plays hop, skip, and bump, and then bingo, you're in. Yes, Great jumping jeeps. Come on, Judge, let's go. Uh, thank you for telling us, Dottie. Well, that's all right. Well, the neighbors say they're going to sue you for damages, but for the life of me, I can't see why they want more damages. <laughs> Shake a leg, Judge, before that goat busts me into bankruptcy. Ooh, by George, there he is now. Say, he's a cute-looking fella. Yes. Now, there are people who think you're cute-looking, too, Judge, and for the very same reason. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, any similarity between you and that goat is purely coincidental, but there's still definitely a similarity. <laughs> uh, Bertie! Afternoon, Mr. Gill, please. Afternoon to you, too, Judge. Ready? I don't suppose the owner of that goat showed up. No, sir, he didn't. He's a powerful, smart man, that man is. However, there was another man around here looking for to buy that goat. Well, why didn't you sell it to him? Well, now, suppose I did, and the owner showed up. That's how people get themselves into poking. In... <laughs> but we have a legal right to sell this animal now, haven't we, Judge? That's right. The decision was handed down in State of Nebraska versus two unclaimed guinea pigs. Later amended to Nebraska versus unspecified number of guinea pigs. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine, Judge. Now, Bertie, 
Do you remember the name of the man who wanted to buy that goat? No, I don't. Oh, what a pity. But he left his card. Here it is. Oh, his card. Good. Let's have it. Thanks. You? I'll pick it up. And never mind, Bertie. I'll get it. Look out, Gildy. Get up. Here comes that goat. What'd you say, Judge? Well, Mr. Gildy. What's all the commotion? <laughs> Here, let me help you up. You aren't hurt, are you, Gildy? No, no, of course not, Judge. I'm just practicing forced landings. That's all. <laughs> Where is that goat? You better get rid of him, Mr. Gilsey. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell him right now. Where's that man's card I dropped? Well, it was on the grass a minute ago. Yes, it was right away. Oh, somebody stopped that goat. Oh, it's too late. He just chewed up the card with the customer's name. return to the great Gildersleeve, who's putting the finishing touches on a temporary goat pen to hold Horace until he can be sold, given away, or just tied to some fence and ran from. Yeah. There we are, Leroy. And there you are, Mr. Goat. Yeah. Oh, but I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap in the hammock, Leroy. Okay, you take it easy. I'm going over to Piggy Bank's house and see if his mother will let him take Horace. All right. Only don't wake me up unless she's foolish enough to say yes. <laughs> Gee, poor Uncle Mort. He's getting to the age where he can't take these things. Oh, my gosh, dames. Oh, there you are, Leroy. We've been looking for you, haven't we, girls? That's right. We just come from our first aid lesson, and we need a victim quick to practice on before we forget everything we learned just now. So come on, little man. Let us bandage you up. Nothing doing, Sally. The last time you guys wrapped up my leg, my foot was asleep all afternoon. <laughs> Besides, i got to see a lady about a goat. Well, it looks like we'll have to practice on each other. Oh, no. Let, let's see if Bert's here. Oh, Bertie, would you like to come out here and be a victim? A victim of what, Miss Marge? Circumstances? <laughs> no. Of a broken leg, brains, burns, everything. No, ma'am, I have absolutely no inclinations in that direction. <laughs> we just want to practice first aid on you. We're just going to pretend that you're hurt. Can't you do it just pretending I'm bad, too? I've got a pressing engagement to press that dress she wants to wear tonight. But if you want me to leave, that's the goal. No, 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 Bertie, no. We'll, we'll find someone else. Oh, say, Marge. Isn't that your uncle over there in the hammock? Yes. Oh. <laughs> He'd make an awfully jolly patient, wouldn't he? Well, I don't know. You think we've got enough bandages to go around him? <laughs> let's go over and ask him, huh? Come on, girl. All right, well, let's be quiet. Oh, uh, uh, Mr. Gillespie, do you mind if we use you as a dummy to practice our first aid on and the kind nobody else will, and you don't have to disturb yourself in the least because we can go right ahead just the way you are? <laughs> the shoe flies go away. <laughs> He's asleep. We shouldn't disturb him, Dottie. If Uncle Mort's asleep, I don't think even Dottie can disturb him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you mean it's all right to proceed? Sure. Just as long as we don't treat him too roughly or push him out of the hammock. Oh, goody. I've just been waiting for a chance like this to practice my tourniquet. Now, just hold still, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> well, this would be a good time to work on chest bandages. No, I'm afraid we'd have to get him up for that. Well, couldn't I just roll the bandage around him and the hammock? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that would seem logical. Well, what are you going to do, Margie? Oh, I think I'll work on that treatment for burns and rub some of this salve on Uncle's face. <laughs> You'd probably keep him from getting sunburnt, too. Mm. Ooh, this salve is certainly strong. <laughs> My, your uncle is certainly a sound sleeper. Yes, 
Just listen to that sound. I never thought it would take so many matte bandages to go around your uncle's circumference, Marjorie. Yes, that takes in a lot of territory, doesn't it? Gosh, but this stuff is sticky. Anyone have an extra handkerchief? Mm-hmm. Just a second and I'll be through. Then... Oh! Dolly Dobson, what are you doing to my uncle? Well, I'm just tightening this tourniquet. But good heavens, Dolly, you never use a tourniquet on the neck. <laughs> Get up. If, who tied me down here? Well, why'd you do it? Oh, it's you. It, what do you want? You'll get away from me. Oh, your nose is cold. Yep, hey, quit licking my face. Or is your beard tickled? Gilsey, don't you think you'd better figure out some way to get rid of that goat? Because the animosity against him on the outside is beginning to penetrate on the inside. <laughs> what do you mean, Bertie? Well, I happen to know a certain very reliable and capable cook who has been offered a most lucrative position in a completely goatless household. Or <laughs> uh, should I be more specific? <laughs> no, no, no. I think I understand, Bertie. And I'm trying to get rid of Horace, too. Well, I sure hope she does. And instantaneously, too. I'm tired of flying a kite from the second floor every time I got clothes to dry and wearing a skillet whenever I have to bustle out into the yard. And you folks ain't had it so easy either, eating them buffet dinners every night standing up. Well, let's not go into that, Bertie. It's a painful subject. Oh, excuse me, Uncle Mort. I didn't know you were here. Come here, young man. Who, me, Uncle? Of course you. Leroy. Did you have anything to do with Horace chasing the postman down the street and then eating our morning mail? Well, only indirectly, Uncle Mort. Yeah? You see, I was trying to train him to fetch the mail inside every morning the way Piggy Banks' dog does. Well, he fetched it inside, all right. <laughs> Maybe we ought to buy him a muzzle. Uh, what's the use? He'd eat that, too. <laughs> what we should do is saw off his horns, trim off his beard, and then tip off the dog catcher. <laughs> Uncle Mort, he likes you. Yes. Every time he sees you, a look steals into his great, big, beautiful blue eyes. Too bad I couldn't see that look when I was bending over to find the keyhole last night. <laughs> he knocked me clear into the sitting room. <laughs> yeah, now what? As if I didn't know. 
Mr. Gildersleeve? Yes, that's me. I'm from the city hall. Do you keep a goat on these premises in violation of the city zoning code? Of course you do. I can see him from here. Do you have county license to conduct a goat dairy as provided for in the civil statutes of this state? I thought not. As a foresaid goat proven a nuisance, disturber of the peace, and menace to life, limb, and real estate values? I thought as much. Better get rid of him at once, Gildersleeve. That goat is butting into everybody's business these days. <laughs> All right, that's enough of me. Get your cap, Leroy, and come along. Okay. Where are we going, Uncle? You heard the man. We're going to take that backyard battering ram out to the country and get rid of him. Here, Horace. Come on, nice little goat. Yes, sir. You lead him around to the car, Leroy. All right. Careful, Uncle. You'll trip your shoelaces untied. Shoelaces untied? Oh, thank you. I've got to fix it now. Oh, we got on kick him, Horace. I don't see him. Where is he? I saw you. No, no, Horace. <laughs> I fooled him that time. How oh. I'm wearing my air raid warden helmet where it'll do the most good. Slow down, Uncle Mort. Let's try that farmer up ahead. That farmer? Oh, yes. But this is our eighth stop, Leroy. I never thought there were so many goat haters in this part of the country. Uh, hello there, neighbor. Well, hello there. Oh, uh, how would you like to buy a dandy goat at a cheap price? No, no, thank you, gentlemen. Gee, why not? This goats is too stubborn. They're used like yak assassins. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just look at this animal. He's a genuine Jim. A genuine Jim? <laughs> he looked more like a York by Indian. <laughs> you can have him for only $2. <laughs> no, no, too high. All right, I'm tired of hauling him around the countryside. You can have him for nothing. That's still too high. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, suppose I give you uh, 3 or $4. How about that? Oh, no, you're yoshing me. I'm not yoshing you. I'm joshing you. <laughs> well, what do you say? No. But why not? That goat is worth $10 for sure. If you ask less, something then wrong, sure. You get along now. Get off my property. I don't want no dealings with hot goats. Well, for the hot goats. Uh-oh. Horace, what have you done? Gee, Uncle, look at the upholstery in the back seat. The upholstery? Oh, where is it? I got the latest. <laughs> All right, brother, this is the end of the line. What you gonna do, Uncle? Open that back door, Leroy. Uh, now, get out, Horace. <laughs> Shut the door quickly, Leroy. All right. G goodbye, Horace. Yeah, goodbye, Horace. <laughs> well, let's get home, Leroy. Yes, it's... Uh... 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 My goodness, look, we're out of gas, Leroy. Horace, get away from those tires. <laughs> It's 7 o'clock, Miss Marge. You still want to wait dinner for Mr. Gillsleeve and Leroy? Oh, yes, Bertie. Just a little while longer, anyhow. Oh, I do hope they come back without that goat. Yes, ma'am, and so does everybody else who's ever come in contact with him. <laughs> Go to give the devil his dues. That horse had the most personality I ever saw in a goat. Too bad it was all negative. <laughs> oh, I don't know what we'll do if they bring him back again. You think we could hide him someplace where the neighbors wouldn't find out? No, ma'am. They sure get the wind of it somehow. <laughs> I guess you're right. Well, here we are. Oh. Is dinner ready, Bertie? Yes, sir. How about that horse goat? Oh, we found out who owned him and gave him back. You did? Who does he belong to? The uh, Summerfield Railroad Yard. The Railroad Yard? 
Well, I've heard of donkey engines and cow catchers, but what do goats do on the railroad? Well, that Horace works down at the stockyards. He leads the sheep out of the pens and into the boxcars. Yeah, and when he ran away, they thought he'd been shipped somewhere by mistake. Yes, they were terribly glad to get him back again because it's practically impossible to move the sheep unless he leads them. Oh, well, thank goodness that's all over. You said it. Well, now, if you both get all cleaned up, I'll put dinner on right away. Oh, dinner, and have I got an appetite. Yeah, me too. Come on, Uncle Morton. Yeah, sure. You don't know what a load this is off my shoulders. Why, I feel like if... Uh, I feel like something's wrong. What's that noise outside? Oh, I can't imagine. It sounds like... You better go to the door, Uncle. Yes, I'll soon find out. Oh, great jumping jeeps. Horace has come back again, and he's brought all his little sheep friends with him. Ladies and gentlemen, in this war that we're fighting, there are a million stirring stories of valor and endurance and personal sacrifice. At this very moment, on every ocean, men of our Navy are writing an heroic page in our history. And in order that they may fight with untroubled hearts, secure in the knowledge that their loved ones at home are not in distress, the Navy Relief Society is asking us to contribute a fund of $5 million. That's right, Marjorie. For 40 years, the men of our Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard have provided immediate direct relief for their dependents themselves. But now, since Pearl Harbor, the need has become much greater. And so all of us are going to have the privilege of helping. Give now, and give generously. Either to your local Navy Relief Drive, or to the Navy Relief Society, 730 Fifth Avenue, New York City. That's right, 730 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Thank you, and good night, ladies and gentlemen. Original music heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at this same time for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. This program has come to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Richard Diamond, followed by Fibra McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.